0: Blue skies Smiling at me
1: Nothing but blue
2: Hello again, this is Buck Benny speaking with my friend Bob. We're discussing uh, Star Trek Picard, episode five. And in this episode, uh, it's one of those episodes that harkens back to a lot of uh, television uh, episodes of Star Trek where they're taking on a bunch of different roles and just kind of having fun with it. it. You would consider this a fun, goofy episode of the... Original series or whatever was on, but this takes a lot darker sort of turn as it does this. So it's kind of a fun play on the whole, oh, we're off to have this goofy little adventure and we're all going to wear funny outfits. And then, but all then turns fairly dark. So uh, I thought that was an interesting piece of it. And just so we know, of course, spoilers, 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 we're spoiling the whole thing. So, um, Bob, what did you, uh, uh, it, does that make sense, what I just said, and does that tie in with you?
3: Yeah, I mean, it starts out, they go to, is it Free Cloud or Free Planet? It's a, it's basically the Vegas of space. It's yes. basically, what it means. It's like, you know, sex and drugs and violence and criminals. Yes. yeah. You think it's going to be, they keep getting like kind of these um, spam ads, like virtual spam ads. Mm-hmm. At the beginning, so you think it's going to be kind of tongue in cheek, but then, like Daryl said, it two of the characters take a dark twist. One of yes. them is Seven of Nine, and the other one is Agnes. Right. Agnes does something at the end that I never expected out of her. Right. Um, and they didn't really, they didn't really telegraph it. I mean, she's all nervous and stuff when they're trying to she's trying to beam them up, and she's all nervous. And then at the end, yeah, it's a. Uh, uh,
2: I I thought the actress played this role, like, to a T. I mean, she, the whole series, she seemed like this, uh, and like she's supposed to be, this sort of of out-of-water character that's like, uh, this is all new to me, this is all, and so we kind of empathize with that. It's like if we were all of a sudden on this ship, what would we do? And she's nervous when she does everything always and, and all of that kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden kind of a flip switches and she becomes a different sort of uh, character, at least for this scene in this episode, we'll see where future episodes are going to go and things. Um, like I like the way we're not completely giving away what she did other than the fact that, that it gets dark. And then, uh, and seven of nine, th- there's a great piece in here It's a funny piece of where they're trying to describe who she is or whatever. And uh, well, somebody's like, isn't she like 11 or something or or 99 or and she goes, no, she's called seven. So they're like, "Okay, so it's not even seven of nine anymore. It's just just dropped to just seven. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but it's nice that he does reference to nine and then Seven Eleven. I, <laughs> <laughs> so, I kind of like Seven Eleven. She's Seven <laughs> yeah. Eleven. Open twenty four hours a day, but it says Seven Eleven. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. and do you know Seven Elevens were originally open seven to eleven o'clock, and that's where they got their name. But uh, they didn't change it to twenty four hours or us or anything. So, anyway. <laughs> see the the bits of knowledge and you gain from watching our podcasts is just amazing. Hey, just-
3: ancient 70s knowledge. Yes. When 7 Eleven was a thing. When grocery stores closed at night and all you had was 7 Eleven.
2: Yeah, that's right. Well, I remember, did, I can't remember if I was with you, Bob, or if it was before your time or or, or not. It might have been before your time. It might have been when I did it with my sisters. But I used to ride my bike up to 7 Eleven. And then at 7 Eleven, I'd buy their Slurpees with the, the superhero cups that you had.
3: Well, me, me and you did that. You so, would do that? Okay. We would get on our, you had that little five speed yes. banana seat. I had the purple one and we'd go down up the road. It was so good for a diabetic to drink a Slurpee. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so I would take my diabetic friend to go up and get Slurpees so that I could collect all the glasses. And then, and this
3: dumb dynamic friend would would drink it anyway.
2: Yep. And I had this little pouch thing that was on the back of my, my bike, my, my uh, five speed at five speed with a stick shift that would actually, the stick shift would look like a stick shift in a car and it, and you can change the different gears. And I had a, uh, off my um, uh, banana seat. I had a, a little black bag in the back that was just big enough to hold the cups and things. So I would put the cups in there and, and get them. And somehow we went up there at least often enough. I don't know how we pulled this off. I had, I think I got every single cup in the entire series. Um, And so,
3: so the one I I probably broke at some point.
2: Yes, we had, we did. I've had, I've had like two broken, I think at some point, but uh, I have, uh, and I still have them all. So uh, I keep on it. I'm going to list them on eBay because I think they're going for about ten dollars each. So, and I have like sixty-four of them. so <laughs> It's a lot of money.
3: Geez, there was that. There was that many. Yes,
2: I have. I have all of the DC ones, and then a pretty large amount of the Marvels. So, uh, but probably at this point, it'd be better to have the Marvels and not the DC. I bet the Marvels sell for more. But hey, you know that's the way it goes. I was a bigger DC fan. I do have this Stan Lee cup, which is cool. It's it's Stan Lee in a, uh, in a Spider-Man sort of outfit, but I think it's got a cape on it and things. It's kind of, it's cute. And then, with him passing. It's kind of cool to have that. I guess we'll Anyway. All, I guess we'll be back to Picard. We're going should back. we go back to Picard? Should we talk? Let's talk about yeah. 7-Eleven and Slurpee Cups. <laughs> <laughs> Slurpee cup episode. Okay. So back to Picard. There are no Slurpee Cups featured in this episode. Um, and there was none broken. So this episode hurt no Slurpee Cups. We want you to know that. <laughs> and then, uh, like he says, 7 um it seems to go dark, and then it's like, okay, the other characters have talked her out of going dark, and then she kind of goes with them, and things are going to be fine. Now, the f- how Picard just sort of she's like, she's like, oh, you know, I'm going to sort of just head off on my own. It'll be fine. Blah blah. I could use. Can I take a couple of your Giganto phaser rifles here with me? Because you never know. As a ranger, I'm a I'm a ranger person. I I always might need extra firepower or whatever. He's like, oh yeah, take whatever you want. <laughs> and she goes back on the pad with two giant phaser rifles, and uh, and he's and 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 goes where she wants to go. And it's like they're just kind of all just ignoring it. She, so he
3: yeah. tweaked the transporter. He didn't notice. Right. She tweaked the transporter.
2: Yeah, I was surprised. I mean, you I, I, kind of start to question the fact that the person who just wanted to kill somebody is now grabbing two giant phaser rifles and going back on the transporter pad and be like, hmm, something might be up here. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, I,
3: I was surprised she actually killed her. I was not I was expecting her to back down again. Yeah. yeah. But she
2: didn't. Did not. Did not. And for the character, I think that's kind of a good thing. And for the series, it kind of says we're not if this was next generation or any of the television series i don't think she would have done that no i think as something different than that as a darker streaming modern television series i think it's it also
3: starts really dark with the flashback to them when they're taking oh yeah yeah, yeah. I, yeah that was just that was actually kind of gross it was pretty it, graphic
2: it was it was a very graphic scene and one that Viewers might want to fast forward over part of the beginning of this, just uh, of the episode, just because it is very graphic, probably the most graphic scene I've seen with kind of a Borg person being taken apart sort of thing. And, and, and she makes a dark choice there too, which is interesting. Um, uh, You know, I think we'll just spoil the heck out of that one just tell you what happens. I mean, essentially she's, this person is a character it's played by a different actor, but it's a character that was originally on Voyager with her in the in the later seasons. And she took him on as kind of like a son-type protege character. And so they bring him back. I don't know why they didn't get the original actor, but whatever. Probably because he didn't want to come on for a two-minute scene where he gets killed off. <laughs> but yeah. uh, anyway, so he's essentially they're taking pieces out of him. Uh, he was a Borg as well. And so they're pulling pieces out of him and she goes up just a few minutes late after he's gotten more pieces pulled out of him. And so he's got his eye pulled out and so forth. But then it's sort of like they both agree that he's better off dead and she ends up killing him, but I'm going, but she was, as affected as a borg as he was in her original appearance in, in the voyager series i don't know if bob's seen it or not but she's a straight on full-on uh uh borg and they take it all apart and fix it and make her look better she's still got the thing like around the edge of her eye or whatever it is right but other than that and her hands got something going on with it but other than that she she looks they were able to kind of fix her so she looks and seems all right so you would think okay now this is what 20 years later or something so you would think they'd have even more technology to kind of fix Borg stuff and I'm like well why did she kill him why didn't she just say no no I I mean he might say in that desperate moment like just kill me or something but you would think you'd say no I've gotten we'll fix you up it's gonna be okay you know or whatever and but it wouldn't be as dramatic, but I don't know. That's what struck me, Bob. I don't know if that came across your mind or not. I,
3: I got the impression that maybe he was more damaged than they, his internals were more damaged from the, that they didn't show or something. I guess I just filled in the gap.
2: Yeah. I, that's, I that's what I had to take it as too and go, okay, he's further gone than we thought. And, He's just like, I'm going to slowly sit here and die anyway, so take me out of my misery or whatever. Because that's the only thing that makes sense. But it sure didn't look like you. I mean, pulling someone's eye out is not enough to kill them. So, I don't know. But anyway. Unless they were doing things to him before
3: that, and then they were doing, drilling into his, about to drill into his head or something. right? No, But she shows up before they do that and starts shooting glass at them. So, yeah, I don't know.
2: Yeah. Anyway. But but that was, was I mean, but the point was he was so damaged that she had to kill him and that made her really upset and that started her whole kind of revenge mentality and so forth and uh, which makes sense with what she does later in the episode when she kills the person that kind of was part of that
3: yeah well, that that yeah. woman's like a bounty hunter she gets bored and she takes parts out of sells right and yep without anesthesia
2: mm hmm but what what is the feeling you got between their relationship i kind of got the fact that maybe she captured 7 and then they fell in love or something and so didn't dismantle 7 or I,
3: there's some there's something there yeah between the two of them yeah in the past
2: yeah they had some kind of previous relationship and it seemed like it was more of a lover type relationship is my assumption and then um, there was a scene with I'm going to say her name wrong.
3: Raffi and her son. I didn't get that. I didn't quite get that. Is he someone that was in before? It seems like he just... It was part of her backstory.
2: It was part of her backstory. Um, Yeah, that scene wasn't all that necessary. I probably wouldn't have included in the episode and I would have dropped it out because I don't think they needed that. But it just showed Raffi... I mean, I guess the whole series of Picard, all these characters, everybody they're showing us has had this past where they've made choices that have negatively impacted different people. And it's, and it's hurt them as individuals and made them have to go on a path of kind of redemption for themselves and accepting that the mistakes that they've made and moving forward and so forth. And so her mistake that she's made was she, she, thought her job was like more important than her family or whatever and protecting whatever she was doing. And so uh, her son is upset that she didn't have, that she just kind of abandoned him and his father. And uh, then of course wants to be part of his life with his uh, new fan with his wife and kid and new family and stuff. Um, and, so, and he's not going to let her into that. Part you know makes it clear that, that he doesn't want her hanging around and things, and uh, you can tell she's crushed by it and things. Um, but anyway, it's also it's kind of a mirror of her, her
3: seeing Picard. Yes. earlier where she's telling Picard that you know you never checked on me, right? He just left me, abandoned me, and it's kind of that mirror of that.
2: Mm-hmm. It is. I don't. And, but yeah, I
3: said I don't know why it's in the episode exactly.
2: Well, then you're always wondering why the character feels that way when she did the same thing, but she probably was just um, transferring her feelings for what she did to her family onto Picard and blaming him for that, you know, sort of thing. But yeah, it's uh, I mean mean—the whole series is definitely more emotional undercurrent going on than we're used to seeing in in lots of uh, Star Trek, though it doesn't have the uh, emotional sort of hand wringing. That Voyager sometimes has. Um, I think it's a more. Um, it means discovery or Voyager? Discovery. Thank you. Yeah. The discovery sometimes has discovery. We talk about how emotional some of, of the scenes get and some of the actors, they sort of play it that way. And with this, it's more you've made mistakes in your life, you screwed a lot of things up, you can still do good things. Go forward and and fix things right, make things better from this point forward. Right, both things in your past and new situations you run into is sort of what this series has kind of so far been heading. Sort of like, um, and one of the and the Picard. One of the things hanging on Picard is the whole Data thing and the whole which we haven't seen since the first episode or whatever, really, and then the the whole. Borg piece, um, the fact that he was made into Borg. There's a great one of my favorite scenes in all of Star Trek might be the the discussion that Seven has with him about uh yeah, in this episode, they've both been Borg, and they she says something to the effect of of so when they got you back and took the pieces out and took, you know, deborgified you essentially. Did you get your humanity back? And he says yes. And then she says, "Did you get it all back?" And he's like, "No." Um, and and it's a, something like it's a constant battle, or it's a con- you know whatever, a constant reminder or something. And it just connected these two characters that were both bored that you hadn't really thought about it, but it's like right. So it was great that they've reintroduced her in this series. And that was just a great piece of dialogue that you can't couldn't have with any. It had to be between Seven and Picard, right? It wouldn't work with anybody else. So uh, they'd never been together before, but that, as writers sitting in the writers' room, I would think even when they first introduced her in the previous episode, they'd be saying, "She's there for lots of reasons," but so they could have this one bit of dialogue makes it worthwhile bringing that actress back and doing this whole thing and i'd say that's true
3: the question is is she going to be in the rest of the series because now she's kind of off on her own again correct we'll see i guess next week
2: yep 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 and in future episodes and things so um and we're getting into we're gearing up to some of the uh I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I can't, I can't remember which week or whatever, but I think you're going to be very happy with as this, as the season progresses. Um, towards the end, like I say, the last three or four episodes are pretty spectacular. So um, mm-hmm. we shall see. But yeah, um, love love the series so far. I think people are going to continue to like it. Um, definitely worth tuning into Picard or watching it. I would I would think. If you're a fan of Next Generation and have seen, especially if you've liked any of the movies that they've had and things, this would be a great series for someone, even if you have to if you don't have the Paramount Plus and you don't want to get Paramount Plus, I think it's out on DVD now or Blu-ray or whatever, you can pick that up.
3: I want to see what that. I really want to know what this dark secret is. There's some yeah. dark year around Soji and Dodge that we don't know.
2: Right. I and, guess
3: you do because you've already seen it so but
2: yeah yeah so but i'm not going to give anything away on future episodes so just know that it, it, it's good and there's there's a payoff at the end of the whole thing i think a good arc for the season and things um i will say that when i first watched it the first time through i wasn't connecting as much to the new sort of crew that he assembles just because they're all new people and I you know so forth. You've seen it a second time that I've been watching it the second time through. I've connected more with them because it's my second time experiencing them. And I'm not sitting here comparing them to, well, there's no one like Riker and there's no one like Worf. and there's no you know, there's I'm glad there's not. They shouldn't have tried to just recreate the old crew with new people that they're they're like, oh this is kind of a warfish character and this is kind of I mean they have their own uh, kind of the closest thing they've ever had to a samurai probably on star trek is is sort of what they have in one of them and i thought okay that's kind of a creative thing there because can you imagine sitting around and going okay we want to create a crew around picard but we don't want them to be just knockoffs of the next gen so we have to create new characters how can we make new engaging characters and i think they've done a pretty good job of that i like the the pilot that has all of the different variations of himself that are the emergency yeah. holograms
3: yeah. it keeps coming that one keeps coming up with agnes
2: yes and, and, and it was <laughs> fun this episode we we see more of that and every time he shows up agnes is not delighted to see him and um i just guess,
3: as the, as the
2: captain is too he, yes. he seems like an annoying
3: kind of an annoying character in some ways for them
2: yes yes and That's then it. this episode i thought it was great with the whole um i mean it was pushing it i was like okay this is pushing the edge here but the the episode is dark enough that they could take part of it and make it really light and too fluffy and it still worked so like having the having people look like a, one of them dressed up essentially like a pimp and he looked just like like was a '70s pimp, essentially, and you're like, "Oh, that's pushing it." And then Picard with his eye patch and the whole thing, and he's, <laughs> i loved his his. It was Patrick Stewart playing Picard, doing a part, so it had to be bad acting because Picard wouldn't know how to act with beans. So, so there was some serious meta going on there. So, yeah.
3: My question uh, is, is: Does that warrior drink
2: prune juice because <laughs>
3: I thought that was funny how they had work in prune juice.
2: Yes, I thought so. Or so. drink. Yes. <laughs> that was always one of the great lines from the original series. Yeah, wow. I love that. And they had it in a few episodes because it was funny. <laughs> but uh, I, it'll be interesting to see if we get more uh, in season two, are we going to see more of the original next gen characters and so forth show up? Um, so far this season, we've only seen Data in the first episode, and we've seen Seven in these last, last couple episodes, um, which was totally unexpected to see Seven pop up. She's in a totally different series, or was. Um, it'll be interesting to see who else is going to pop up, or if anybody else does, this season and next season. At the end of this season, we'll talk about more about that and, and things. So, anyway. But uh, anything else about this episode, Bob?
3: No, I think we I think we covered it.
2: Okay. But uh, good to know that you're still liking this series. Um, I said that the last episode, episode four, was where we could switch over and go back to Discovery, but Bob wanted to keep going with Picard, and I was hoping he would like it well enough to do that. So go ahead, I mean, Bob. You were going to share something else.
3: We haven't seen that much of that. Oh, I wish I could remember his name the samurai character trying to look him up right in this episode. He didn't do much. No, I assume that they're going to use him more later.
2: We shall see. Um, I do like his character that it's kind of a um, uh, innocence to him. And yeah. yet he's, he's essentially, uh, I'm sure I'm sure in the writer's room or whatever they were describing him as, he's an innocent assassin is what I would say is, which is a completely bizarre that you can pull that off and have your most, your warrior, your most violent theoretical person that you could have also be uh, an innocent sort of character as well. And that's a great play on that.
3: We also don't see uh, Soji in this episode at all either.
2: No, this was a list one. My assumption is and I was I was thinking about what the next episode was, but I don't think it's what I thought it was. I'm I'm feeling it's going to be a soji-centric episode cuz we haven't usually if if they pull away from a character entirely, the next episode is going to feature them a lot. So that would be thought. But we'll see.
3: It, he, that character that I looked at it, it seems Elnor. He reminds me of like the the elves in Lord of the Rings. Yes. That's kind of what he reminds me of
2: yeah i would say so too so it's it's cool that they would i'm sure they were thinking that as well it sort of brings this other element into star trek that we have sort of a fantasy element piece that that uh, genre fans are always happy to see this sort of thing and so i think it's kind of cool that they brought him in and you would think he wouldn't work in this but he does and so that's good that they That's some serious good writing if you can pull that off. Um, Yeah, great episode, enjoyable, great series so far. Um, Patrick Stewart just does such a nice job in this series. For a guy his age to pull this off and be the center of this thing, um, he just, yeah, he does a nice, nice work. Love his acting, always has, but even, even more so now that he pulls this later version of Picard off so well um all yep. right so we will see you folks next time for more picard picard episode six next time and i th- think there are 10 episodes i'm not sure there's something yeah right.
3: yeah there's 10 when i looked last week
2: yeah so we're over halfway through. well we're right at the halfway point we're just crossing the halfway point so yeah Alrighty. see you folks next time
4: Hey nerds, I'm Will Wheaton and this is The Ready Room, your official behind-the-scenes hub for all things in the Star Trek universe. This week, we are going incognito, free cloud style to talk about everything that happened in episode five of Star Trek Picard. As always, massive spoilers are in your future, so be sure to watch Stardust City Rag first before joining me back here for all of the details. today. My special guest is the swashbuckling Romulan himself, Evan Evagora, who I'll be talking to a little bit later. And of course, I will have an exclusive clip of next week's episode coming at you soon. But first, we have to mention the former board in the room. I am of course referring to seven of nine, Jerry Ryan. And I believe our friends at a certain pre-taped location have words on the matter. Control room,
5: engage. Picard and Seven share a history that no two other characters share really in the entire Trek universe, which is that they were both assimilated by the Borg, and obviously they were on entirely different shows. So the idea of bringing these two characters together who actually existed in the same timeline, who both find themselves on the outside of the Federation and cleaning up the mess of what has happened in the last 10 to 15 years felt like an incredibly interesting opportunity.
1: Seven of Nine.
5: Ichab is like a son to Seven. We needed a character who meant something to Seven, who had a pre-existing relationship with her.
3: You see that he was taken and basically murdered in the end for his Borg parts.
5: And Seven very, very painfully realizes that she has to commit a mercy killing because he's gonna die anyway and he's gonna die painfully. My child. And by killing him, Seven develops an incredible vendetta against the woman who she has a history with, the woman who betrayed the Exborg.
3: The show is so much about filling in blanks of what have people been doing. You saw them here, and then where would they go? So she's filled these years by really finding that strength, taking back what's hers, being a vigilante against people
1: like herself who were done wrong.
5: Seven is angry at Picard because she feels that when he sort of stepped away in high dudgeon, he abandoned the protection of the universe and Seven has taken it upon herself to basically sheriff se- sections of space that are more lawless now because the Federation isn't around.
3: And I think she sees that opportunity to kind of fight
1: back and take back for those who couldn't fight for themselves.
4: For this week's interview I am incredibly lucky to be sitting down with Evan Evagora uh, who plays Elnor. You are introduced to the audience in what is my favorite scene of this episode. Oh, thank you. We have seen you as a child, mm-hmm. and in the moment that you are revealed, without saying anything, your body language, everything about you just says, like, oh, you have so much nerve being here, Picard. Would you talk about the history that Eleanor has with him and how that affected your preparation?
0: Well, going through the beautifully written script that I received, I, uh, I read the scene um, of him growing up. Yeah. And uh, obviously, Elnor's an orphan. And he gets thrust into this uh, sect of nuns that uh, Picard puts him there. And it's meant to be temporary. It's kind of It was kind of obvious to me that um, Elnor, as a child, viewed Picard as his kind of like a father figure. Yeah. Um, kind of like he was the only strong male that he knew. Yes. And then obviously this whole big event happens and uh, Picard leaves and abandons him. So I think going into it, the thought was, how would you feel if you were suddenly abandoned by the only parent that you know? Or being an orphan, having created this bond with a complete stranger who cared for you and helped raise you and educate you, how would you feel after losing that person and then having him arrive after all this time? Um, So I had to kind of feel the mix of emotions. Was it happiness? Was it shock? Was it grief? Was it sadness? Was it anger? So that's what I was kind of feeling going into that scene. It's like, I have to portray all of these emotions that are flashing through my mind. So obviously body language, eyes, um, you know, even the clenching of my jaw. Yeah. The the kind of uh, tears like coming through. I, I had to show all of that emotion in that short, space of time.
4: And you have to do it as a Romulan. As a Romulan, yeah. So you're talking about the work we do as actors Mm -hmm. to emotionally prepare for something, like you do all your work, you put the weight of it on there, but now you have to do it as a Romulan. As a Romulan, yes. You told me you grew up watching Next Generation, which I think is so freaking cool. So you know the Romulans. I do. But you're different from Romulans we've ever seen before. Tell me a little bit about your preparation, getting to know what it means to be a Romulan
0: now. Well, I found I had to kind of like throw out everything I knew, because, you know, Romulans are normally secretive and, you know, just you know distrustful, and they don't trust anyone who's, you know, not one of them. And then I got Elnor, and I'm like, wow, he is the complete opposite. Um, You know, he doesn't believe in lying. He's only taught to speak the truth, his mind. So I just kind of had to get my head around that. I'm like, so this is what I know about Romulans, and this is what I've learned. And I think it's kind of different. He wasn't really raised on his home planet. He's, you know, a refugee. So that kind of changed how I had to approach Elnor when I was uh, preparing for him.
4: I've talked to tons of actors over the years who have worn prosthetics for Star Trek. And they all say that, like, when I get the forehead on, when I do the ears and the eyebrows, it really makes the character come to life. Did you feel
0: that? I did um going into it you know it's like early in the morning uh, you're walking into the makeup trailer half asleep but as soon as you you pop into the chair and the makeup starts coming on first it's the wig yeah I'd say as soon as my beautiful hairs put on uh, I start <laughs> feeling more like Eleanor yeah and then slowly you know we get rid of these big bushy eyebrows and we put the blockers on and they start, you know, I get the, I get the slanted eyebrows and yeah. then the beautiful ears. About how long are you in process every I day? Think I think it's about between an hour and 30 and an hour and 40, so um, I've got a really good makeup team. Uh, Richard Redlifson, he's, we pretty much had it down. It was as soon as I was in the chair, no mucking around, and then I, I was Eleanor. Get into the robes, get my beautiful sword. That sword is good so them. cool. Oh, how cool is it? That is. It is the best thing. Just the reveal of it is so cool. How cool do you feel? I feel like an absolute badass, dude. Yeah, how can you not? How can you not? Exactly. Choose to live. I regret your choice. Did you watch the scene where I sliced the guy's head off?
4: I wanted to ask you oh, about okay. it. Okay, yeah, yeah. Talk to talk about that scene. So you read it in the script. Yeah. Right. How cool is it?
0: Oh, amazing! It, it just reminded me of those old kind of uh, comic books or those samurai movies, you know, yeah. those moves and it's like, ah. And I think that's where um, the inspiration for Elnor kind of came from. Yeah. But reading it, I was kind of like, how am I going to flip over three guys and uh, slice this man's head off? But I had a really good stunt double. Um, his name was Anise, and. I was fortunate enough to do most of my um, stunts myself, but everything yeah. like tricky and complicated, we got him, him into do it.
4: Picard gets really angry with Elnor for yes. for killing that guy. I felt that Elnor killing him was completely justified, and it seems that from Elnor's point of view, that was that was the right thing to do in that moment. Did you develop these extra parts of his character that make him? This new kind of Romulan that we've never seen before, this this Romulan who seems to have a little bit of Bushido in him, maybe.
0: I was working with Michael Shaben, and um, he he was pretty he was pretty open to you know talking about my character's development and stuff. Um, but yeah, when it came, he doesn't really. Ha- it's not like Elnor doesn't have any remorse. But if he sees an object and it can be easily removed, he has no problem with it. But that I mean, you see, after I I kill the guy, I sad for having taken a life yeah and also sad for taking a life that I've actually known and it's actually the first time Elnor has ever killed anyone so I, although he's been trained and he's been educated in this way of life he's never actually experienced it up until that point because he says please choose to live right yeah he, he wants everyone to live right it's um, he's giving everyone the option to live it's saying if you willing if you choose to engage I'm gonna win so right. it's it's up to you it's your choice do you want to die or do you want to live?
4: It's a very powerful moment. It is. And 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 it's it's, a
0: really good line. As soon as I read it, I was like, oh my gosh. Thank you, Michael. Thank you.
4: Um, Why do you think he is so fiercely loyal to Picard, even before he chooses to accept the mission that Picard wants him to do? He he seems, I get that abandonment. And I get that, that the disappointment and all those incredible complex emotions, yet he is fiercely loyal to Picard.
0: What is it that makes him so loyal? Picard just came in at a very influential time in his life. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why he remains fiercely loyal to him because of those memories.
4: Do you think there's a universe where Elnor tells him no? Where he won't, where he's just like, no, you're on your own.
0: I don't think necessarily there'd be a, a time where he says no, but maybe a point where he ignores him. Really? Yeah, I think so. I think it'll get to the point where He's experienced more of life and how people work and how social interactions go, and he'll start making his own decisions and start thinking, hey, I don't really need to live by the sword or die by the sword. I'm kind of my own person. I think he's still trying to find himself.
4: There's a beautiful moment where uh, he realizes that we're not lying
0: anymore. I thought that I looked appropriately sinister. No comment. It's a lie. Everybody's behaving as if there was somebody else. Everyone except me. It's really charming.
4: It's very sweet and it reminds us that Elnor is a young man.
0: And very naive.
4: And extremely naive. Extremely naive, yeah. But he lives with this absolute candor, uh, uh, like like approach to life. Um, uh, Did you have to think about that as an actor at all?
0: I really did. I, I had to think of, it was almost like, how would a child view something they've never seen before? because he does have the innocence of one. I mean, yeah. he was raised on this small planet, um, and that was his world, and then all of a sudden he's kind of thrust and shown all these possibilities of what his life could be. What <sighs> oh, man. I don't
4: know
0: how to not be animal.
4: I feel like he comes across as, as, um, as childlike and not childish. Yes. Um, which I think, which makes that moment where he's like, and now your head is
0: gone. Just like, we're like, jeez, man. I think it makes him more dangerous, if anything, because it less, pe- I, you know, you wouldn't take someone seriously like that who, who, who's that naive. But if you give them a sword and you teach them how to use it, then, you know, you, you start to fear that person.
4: He carries himself with
0: extraordinary confidence. Mm. Um, Almost too much. Almost overly confident, though, I'd say.
4: I would agree. And it, and it seems to come from, like, that the overconfidence is built on top of naivete.
0: Yes, that is right.
4: Um, and uh, I can see Picard knows that. Yeah. And it's, in, it's really clear in their relationship. You have talked a lot about Picard being a father figure to Elnor. Um, my character, Wesley Crusher, um, felt like
0: Picard was a father figure to him, Patrick. After, after losing your father, uh, and, and you blamed him. Well, you blamed him. For, sort of yeah, like sort he was of, yeah.
4: responsible for yeah. it, and then like Wesley's whole Starfleet Academy psychological yeah. test is like, can you make the same choice Picard made? And and right, um, it blows my mind that you watch Next Generation. Oh, yeah.
0: yeah, I grew up watching it with my uh, with my mom and my sisters. Uh,
4: I love that because I grew up watching the original series. Really? Yeah, and then I got to work on Next Generation. So
0: you know exactly how it feels getting the role. This is like uh, you're, I, you're looking I, back in a, back in time, I guess. I, yeah,
4: it really is, and I'm so excited for you because I know what you're at the beginning of. Yeah. Like I know what's coming up for you, um, but uh, character wise, Patrick was a father figure to me. Mm. Frakes was a father figure to me. Um, Picard is such a father figure to Wesley, and he is clearly a father figure to Elnor. Um, uh, would you just talk a little bit about that relationship? Does it get developed at all as the season goes on?
0: I'd say it does get developed. I, I think Elnor starts to see um, Picard as more, more of a human instead of uh, this kind of unbreakable, leader who's untouchable and is just the most amazing person in the world i think we first see that with the abandonment but i mean he starts to see that he's an old man yeah and that um he he needs protection i feel like he feels almost some it's almost some urge to protect him to take care of him it's almost like a nurturing thing that's and it's kind of mutual here and picard sees what elnor could be and the potential that he has and i think that's what strengthens their bond
4: during the entire time that Elmer is deciding if he's worthy, if he's going to accept the cause, um, uh, did you make choices to sort of be like checking him out and sort of testing him? Or am I reading into uh, I the think, show? I
0: think that's what was, you know, when they sit down and, and he asks him the questions and then Patrick, uh, Picard, sorry, I always go to say Patrick. So do we, it's okay. Yeah. So Picard asks him, you know, will you bind yourself to my cause? I think he was expecting a little bit more of an apology.
4: I wondered about that. Is there, is there going to be a reckoning? Is there ever a moment where Eleanor's like, dude, you abandoned me. Like, you set up everything for me, and then you took off.
0: I think, I think that was the moment. I yeah. think, um, actually he, it's actually quite a mature moment from Eleanor. He decides to push aside his, um his feelings towards uh, Picard and all the hurt that he he's felt from him and he, he sees the opportunity um, that's presented um, with going with him. And and that's what ultimately decided, um, made his decision.
4: Um, You spend most of this episode in free cloud. Yeah. Uh, which I loved. It really... It's so
0: cool. On set and all the aliens and the different it was species great. It's awesome, yeah.
4: It really reminds me of some of our episodes from Next Generation. It particularly made me think, because it's a casino, it made me think of the Royale.
0: Ah, uh, yes, yeah, yeah.
4: yeah. Uh, it felt like some of our holodeck episodes, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit in, in, in that, that location. Um, uh, but for Elnor, who is, lives a life of absolute candor, He has to go into this total undercover situation and now he is really a fish out of water um uh what sorts of choices did you make being on the set that day to bring that to life
0: i tried to um show just some kind of sense of wonderment especially when he entered the casino he's trying to play it cool but you know he's still looking around because he's never he's never seen anything like this before he's never seen uh, you know, aliens like this before. It's all, everything really for Elnor is such a new experience. Um, you know, the, even the, the body language or you see me in the, the Rios kind of, uh, kind of outfit. Yeah. Trying to copy and, and, and be like him. That's all, he just has fun with it. He's just excited or happy to be there.
4: Santiago's in that amazing pimp hat. Oh, how good
0: does it look! It was
4: so (laughs) funny. What about Patrick? What about
0: Patrick's crazy French accent? Yeah. Oh my gosh!
4: It was so so funny on set.
0: Yeah.
4: Yeah, I bet. You know, he used to do jokes like that uh, when we were working on Next Generation. He would like occasionally do like a super French
0: Picard uh, and do that.
4: Has Has Patrick retained his sense of humor?
0: Ah, yeah, he's probably the funniest person we've ever met. Whenever we sit down, he's just cracking jokes or, you know, telling old TNG stories. I'm so happy to hear that. It was the best way to start um, working on Trek, I think, for me. That must have been... It was honestly like a dream come true.
4: Yeah. So for someone who... I just... I see so much of myself in you because I remember, like... The first you must time have been I,
0: nervous, though. Terrified. I, I, was, sh- I was shaking, Ter- I was sweating. Terrified. Because
4: you're like, oh, I finally get to play with these toys. Don't break them.
0: Oh, it's an or don't touch them, or it's you only get to hold them for, for a second, like for a second, and yeah. then they, and then they take it away. You just want to touch everything. Does that? Do we interact with that? Like, can yeah. I touch that? No, 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 no. Keep it away. You know, you got to be careful.
4: They were always giving us these great props that like lit up and did yeah. things, and then they were like, okay, turn the battery off and don't play with it between shots.
0: Just leave it there until uh, they call action and yeah. then pick it up. I know. How uh, can you? It's like you're a kid. It's like you're a kid again. Yeah. I mean, who like when you were a kid growing up, who didn't want to be who? didn't want to play in a spaceship.
4: Have you thought about the reality that you're going to have an action figure of
0: yourself? I have not, so I guess I'll be playing with myself very, very soon. <laughs> my own little toy, my own little Elnor. would be good.
4: I don't know how excited the other people get about having their action figures. I still call them the adults, even yes, though, like, yeah. you know, we're all adults we're all, now. We're all big kids. But like, for those of us that grew up watching it, oh, it's, it's just like, so, are you kidding so me? so fun, yeah. Um, your first episode mm-hmm. was directed by Jonathan Frakes. It was. Um, which I'm incredibly envious that you got to work with him. Uh, I've only gotten to work with him as a director a couple of times. Only once on Star Trek and and very briefly. um, And I just found him to be one of the greatest directors, TV or motion pictures, that I've ever worked with. Uh, What was your experience like
0: working with him? He was definitely one of the most prepared, one of the funniest. Um, Working with him was so easy, I think it's because Trek was such a big part of his life. He just understands how it works, the ins and the outs, the the right angles, the right moments. Um, even in scenes like how they should like the interactions should be done. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so the fans can actually appreciate and enjoy what they've watched. And I think when the fans finally do get to see my episodes and the episodes he directed, they'll be very very happy. I remember talking to him like when he was in production, and I was like, "I ju-
4: I know you can't tell me anything. I just want to know, like, am I gonna love it?" And he was like, "You're gonna love it so hard." <laughs> yes. When we were talking earlier, you, you you observed that some in the fandom community have said that Elnor is sort of like space legolas.
0: Yes, I've been branded space legolas uh, after the first trailer dropped. I saw online space legolas,
4: and that's and the it, coolest thing I know, ever, right? No,
0: it's the greatest thing. I couldn't have thought of a higher compliment. Yeah. yeah. Um, Except I'd say I'm cooler than Legolas. Wow. All right. You'll see, you'll see, you'll see. Thank you so much
4: for spending time to to talk with me today. It was an absolute pleasure. Before she was assimilated, Seven of Nine went by another name. What was it? A, Monica Hansen. B, Danica Henson, C, Amika Henshaw, D, Erica Henson. Don't boldly go anywhere. The answer is coming up. Like many of my fellow Star Trek fans, I am amazed by all of the new life forms that get introduced to this universe. Well, this week's Mr. Vup is one such alien that we have never seen before in Star Trek. So uh, what's up with Mr. Vup? For that, you go to the Creature Design Experts. I'm Mr. Vup. What's a beta nari?
1: Sentient reptiloid nasty pieces of work. You know, on occasion, uh, you get this wonderful opportunity to introduce a brand new species to a very established world. And you don't really think about it, nor should you, that, wow, what I'm doing right now is pretty cool because it's going to become canon. And it's going to be cosplayed, maybe, at some point. It always starts with the writers. It's sometimes described what color, what size, what shapes, but oftentimes it's just, here's a character, and this character, Mr. Vub, was a really dimensional personality. And I really loved the fact that it gave me the opportunity to not do something completely cliche with um, his look, his aesthetic. It never really is me designing it alone. I'm fed the information and then myself and Christine Clark, the costume designer, she and I in particular have to work very closely together as to what the concept is. That is coupled with Vincent as to what is executable, and his team did an incredible job, particularly with the time that they had, of doing a very difficult sort of crocodile-like texture, um, both hands and face.
2: But this was kind of our, our initial test by just taking all of the, the foam pieces that you guys saw in the other room and applying them to the Talents head cast, the foam version of it. So everything's glued down, lined up, and then colored so we can kind of get a, a whole look of, of how well we're matching up to that, that artwork. When you're painting a character that's a bit more scaly, uh, you're going to be loading up a lot of paint. You're really going to be kind of creating depth, highlights, shadows, things that really feel like they've got the uh, crocodile skin-like texture. Beautifully executed on set by uh, James McKinnon and his team. They put all that together and uh, made him the character that he is and they did
1: a gorgeous job with it. But none of that matters unless the actor can perform through it because it was a lot of stuff. One thing that I absolutely make an effort to do is before I even start designing is talk to the actor who's gonna be wearing it for me, it's, you need to have the, the full picture, knowing that the actor's comfortable with contact lenses or dentures. So our actor was very comfortable with it, and every step of the way, where there was kind of a milestone in the design, I would share it with him first, and say, are you cool with where this is going? Because if you're not, there's no point in me showing it to everyone else. There's a, another layer to this, which is not just about the comfort, and the ability to act in it. It is about the legacy that you're establishing for them. They should feel inspired uh, about their character, excited about who they're becoming. Surprising. I'm
0: living,
2: my best life
0: here.
4: Before she was assimilated, Seven of Nine went by another name. What was it? And the answer is A, Annika Hansen. Seven was assimilated by the board when she was just a child, and later reformed by the crew of the USS Voyager. I'm trying to remember if I told you that we have an exclusive clip from next week's episode of Star Trek Picard, because if we did, that might be something that we would want to cut to like right now. So much for joining us here in the Ready Room. I will be back next week with all the details on Episode Six of Star Trek: Picard. Until then, I am Will Wheaton. Live long and prosper.